Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. How do you recover from a 2.24 GPA? C's equal degrees, this single mom said. Going from a 2.24 undergraduate GPA to a medical school acceptance is what we're going to talk about today. The pre-med year, session number 485. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me. We have a Pre-Med Years special episode today. And when I say special, I mean, we just, we're back to our roots where we're interviewing these amazing, amazing pre-meds turned medical students talking about their successful journeys to medical school. This student figured out how to overcome her C equals degrees mentality because she wasn't a pre-med student going to undergrad her first time around and what she needed to do to overcome. Before we jump in though, I wanna talk about the MCAT minutes brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. It is April, which means a lot of you are getting your MCAT scores back from your March test and you're going, "Uh uh-oh, I think I might need to retake. If that is you, the first thing you need to do is figure out when you're going to retake and what you're gonna do between now and then to overcome the score that you think you need to retake. So the first thing you should do is self-assess. What went wrong? Did you get the score you really expected based on your full lengths, or did you really bomb the test based on (laughs) Help figuring that out, talk to a Blueprint MCAT expert by calling Blueprint MCAT at 1-888-4-BP-PREP. Again, that's 1-888-4-BP-PREP. Brianna, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Hello, hello, hello. So happy to be here. I'm excited <laughs> to uh, to chat about your story. Before we jump in, though, I, I want to read these messages that you sent me on Instagram. This is how we connected. <laughs> October 8th, 2021, you sent me a message. Hi, Dr. Gray. I just wanted you to know... I wanted to let you know that your advice has helped me, a non-traditional, career-changing single mom with a 2.25 undergraduate (laughs) GPA get an interview. I am so excited. I couldn't afford to purchase a lot of resources, so I really appreciate all your videos and forums. They have been a great source of inspiration and guidance. When I get accepted, I hope I get a chance to share my story. 
So you are here sharing your story. So that must mean something. Uh, I, I won't read the second message just yet. Uh, the one that told me you were accepted. But let's let's start with the, the, the primary question, the question I have to ask everyone. When did you first realize, since you're a non-traditional applicant, when did you first realize you wanted to be a physician? I cannot say that I necessarily wanted to be a physician. I feel like, I know this is going to sound cliche, but I feel like I was called to be a physician. I feel like I saw the writings on the wall as I was in the hospital with my grandmother during her last months um, of life. And I just thought to myself, that's crazy. Why would I do that? Why would I change my whole life? Like, I'm, no, I'm already about to start a whole career. Why would I? And how old were you at this point? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So that was 2017. I don't know how old I was. Were you in college? Like 25, somewhere up in there. You're in college already? Yes. Okay. So I was actually in my last semester of college. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> so you you're you're way up in there. Yes. All right. So so keep, continue. So um and then I thought to myself I was like, "Oh my gosh, like I I was like, I was in the mentality as a mother trying to provide for her daughter like these get degrees." So I with that mindset I was like, "Oh my gosh, the work that would be ahead of me to become a physician." So I was like, "No, I'm going to stick to what I said I was going to do, I'm going to become a teacher, I'm going to go into education, I'm going to serve my community by pouring into the youth. And it just kept weighing on me and weighing on me. And then um, as I was teaching and as I was in education, I started noticing some of the health disparities that a lot of my students were facing. And then I also noticed that a lot of the educational disparities and a lot of the things that we were trying to solve in the classroom translated even into healthcare. And whereas in education, it's more like, oh, maybe you're set back a year, or maybe you have to go into this special program to catch up to your grade, or maybe you have, you know, an IEP or some type of special education plan. It's like in healthcare, those same disparities could mean death. Mm -hmm. And that bothered me. (laughs) And it really bothered me to the point I was like, you know what, well, let me see Let's see what it would take to become a doctor. <laughs> uh, that's the first trap. You started Googling. <laughs> and so I actually started on Instagram. And I think the first two people I followed was you and this other Instagram account called Project Diversify Medicine. Yep. And um, both of you were like, it's never too late. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, my gosh, how old are you, Brianna? You have a career. Let's be logical. Mm-hmm. So um, as, at my job, they actually, um, a part of our growth and development, they wanted a lot of the teachers, especially teachers who they um, saw potential and they wanted them to get a master's. And so I said, okay, well, if I don't get a master's, maybe I should get something that could prime me for a transition out of education. Yeah. And so um, I just began 
um, working on my master's and that, and actually even preparing for my master's, it made me think about why I really wanted to be a physician um, and seeing my grandmother and witnessing the things that happened to her. And I was just thinking to myself like, okay, if this works out, I'll go ahead and pursue it for real. <laughs> so do, define work out. What, what does that mean if this works out? Well, coming from my undergraduate career, um, like I said, I was in the mentality. It was like, see, get degrees. I was working for <laughs> jobs. Um, and I was still active in my community and volunteering. And so yeah. I was in the mindset like, okay, I'm going to overload and take 18, 20 hours. I don't care how many hours. As long as I pass all of them and get closer to my degree, then I'll be fine. And yeah. so then now when it's time for graduate school and applying to graduate school is frowned upon to have a GPA that is lower than a 2.5. Um, so it was, for me, I had to dig deep and really share the, I guess, I think you call it the seed. <laughs> And and that 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 moment um, of just being in the hospital with my grandmother and just um, I guess I should say what happened, huh? <laughs> but, yeah, let's let's talk about it. What happened? <laughs> OK, so um, my grandmother had a rare form of achalasia. OK. And so um, there was a certain way that she had to be intubated for her procedure, procedures when she was getting like Botox or when she was getting food removed. And so her regular doctor was not available. Okay. Um, and so since her regular doctor was not available, there was another doctor um, who was going to have to perform the procedure because it needed to perform before her doctor could return. Okay. And, and just, just to, to pause for a second. So echolasia is when the esophagus just doesn't work appropriately, maybe a little deforms, nerve damage, something that, that makes, makes it a little wonky. Mm-hmm. All right. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> So um, the my family, like my my father and his siblings, um, tried to warn the doctor mm. because there was going to be risk of you know aspiration. Mm. And so be, I think because there was a culture gap, and then I think also sometimes um, I don't know you want to trust your own training and your own instincts. <laughs> I mean, because I don't want to bash them. I just know that it it was just miscommunication, misunderstanding. And I do feel like culture was a factor. I feel like just so. Not- so do you think it was miscommunication or outright like you don't know what you're talking about? I'm the expert. Well, it, Get away from me. It was it was more along that line. But I feel like he <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I don't want to bash doctors. Yep. But um, I, I do feel like he felt like we didn't have the education or the background to tell him what to do. Yeah. So such a common story that I hear, especially from underrepresented in medicine students, mm-hmm. um, that the physician, right, historically the <laughs> white man, uh, doesn't believe, doesn't trust, won't listen to because mm-hmm. I know better. I am the doctor. I know better. And that has maybe maybe looking for a little bit of a silver lining, right? That has launched a lot <laughs> of uh, 
people's careers into medicine. It, it uh, definitely and has. you're one of those people. And I'm I'm always the one going <laughs> for the personal statement. Let's not bash the doctor. Right. Because <laughs> let's, let's, you're, you're trying to enter this career. We have to be a little professional. Let's not step, let's not step on toes, mm-hmm. but let's still use that motivation. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. So so it sounds like something not good happened with your grandmother. Yes. So um, a simple procedure that was supposed to be an outpatient procedure. <laughs> um, she ended up um, the contents of her esophagus filled her lungs. Yep. So so as- she aspirated. Yes. OK. And so now um of course, you know, it's got pulmonary edema and, and it's just bad, just bad. And so um, the respiratory therapist got involved, of course. But um, in this process, we discovered that she also had pancreatic cancer. Mm. So um, and I think it was stage four, I believe. And so while she was sitting there, they had given her a few months to live. But while she was sitting there um, in the hospital, she was unable to communicate. Um, she was um, on the ventilator like the, the rest of her stay. And that was for like an entire month of her stay. She was on the ventilator. And um, we communicated with her in the early weeks, like just via sign language. Luckily, she made all of us learn the um, American Sign Language alphabet is children and wow. all her children and grandchildren. And so a lot of times when we would communicate, we would use sign, you know, just a letter like asking yes or no questions or asking if you ask a question, give an option and just mm-hmm. let her hold up the first letter of the and it was just it was just a process. Um, you know, watching those nurses take care of her, going in and out of the ICU, um, you know, just helping them hold her, lift her or change her or move her yeah and that it was just wasn't good. an eye open yeah. yeah it was very eye opening. so so <laughs> let's let's talk about that let's break it down a little bit because you're saying that's eye opening so for you the motivation to kind of uh totally disrupt your life and go like shoot i need to go to medical school this is what i want to do now this is my calling right mm-hmm. was it the fact that you're like we don't have enough representation in medicine we were dismissed because maybe we're people of color mm-hmm. whatever that motivation is or was it the afterward of seeing people care for another human being, seeing people care for your grandmother going like, oh, that's that's pretty phenomenal. I want to do that. Or was it both? It was actually both. Yeah. And then actually realizing through education, because I've every everyone is not meant for service. Yeah. <laughs> every everyone is not meant to deal with people. <laughs> and I have learned that, you know, through watching them and just like seeing how, you know, the communication because the team that, you know, of course, the doctor who, who did not listen to us, you know, not so fond of, but the team, like the aftermath, the ICU, her doctors who um, care for her, even the palliative care, like they were just so wonderful. Like the communication yeah. between us, between each other, um, and then also even communicating through other shift nurses and things like, and just having that continuity of care and that 
it was just it was it was a it was amazing to watch how well they cared for my grandmother for someone who they don't know yeah someone they don't know from you know jim or jack and i just thought to myself like wow that's amazing and so even transitioning into education and i realized that um i was able i was the type of person who was able to build a rapport with my students and to even build a rapport with my parents and i just realized like Everybody is not able to do that. Everyone yeah. doesn't necessarily have that gift. And so the combination of knowing what it takes to deal with people and to serve people, and then also realizing how that gift could help, you know, solve some of the health disparities and why rep- representation matters, like mm-hmm. just all of that combination just inspired me. And and you're off to the races. So you you figure out that like you're on Google, you're on Instagram doing this stuff. You're a single mom. You're Mm -hmm. an educator uh, out there working a full time job, I'm assuming, which is is typically more than a full time job as an educator (laughs) with your 2.24, 2.24, I believe, <laughs> undergraduate GPA. C's, de- C's get degrees, ain't no problem there. But to get to medical school, you have to be better than that. You do. What gave you the permission to say, you know what? I can be better. I will be better. I'm going to go explore this. I'm going to do this. Yeah. You know, I think um, (laughs) it's it's funny because um, it's a combination of like testing the waters because I I went to two um, graduate programs. I started out at one graduate program and then I ended up uh, transferring to a special master's program. But when I first started in that first graduate program, once I realized, I was like, okay, I can do this. Like, I'm smart enough. I'm good enough <laughs> to do this. Um, that was kind of a moment for me. And then also I was, I had a, a big aha moment um, because at first I was like, I can just teach the next generation and inspire them to be the ones to represent in healthcare. I don't have to do it myself. Yep. Yep. I can just tell them to do it and help them do it. I was Going on one of my little, I, I think monologues, all teachers have a monologue every now and then. <laughs> and I was trying to inspire them and explain to them because I was teaching life science and math. So I'm explaining to them why this is so important and just share, I even share with them a little bit of my story and why, you know, it's important for them to be interested in STEM careers and even healthcare careers. And I had a student just interrupt me and he just like, Ms. Richardson, you are the smartest person I know. Why don't you go do it? <laughs> I didn't have a response. <laughs> um, so I, I took that to heart and I was like, you know what? Why don't I go do it? Bet. <laughs> Bet, right. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, let me go show you that, yeah. I know that we can do it. And and I think that's important, too, because sometimes you can tell someone like you can do this, you can do this. But to be able to see someone else do it, to see someone from the same background, to see someone from your same community, your same neighborhood and to overcome those things that to overcome your same struggle and to see that they can do it. That's amazing. It is. It is amazing. (laughs) How old is your kid at this point? 
my uh my daughter when i first started that was she was four when i first started graduate school okay and and what was that like in terms of finding support to take care of her dealing with were you still teaching during graduate school as well um during the first program i did okay um the second program which i completed last year i went full-time i just jumped off the cliff you jumped off the cliff (laughs) that school's like kicking themselves going why did we tell her to go get a master's (laughs) Uh, so so how did you find that support to to be able to go you know what I'm going, I'm going full time. This is what I have to do. Was it just being able to take out loans or where, where did you find other support yeah. to take care of kid and, and bills and all that fun stuff? Yeah. So bill wise, of course, um, the good old federal government. loans, <laughs> <laughs> um, And then I also had a, a couple of small scholarships from my um, university. Um, they were need based scholarships. And um, I really depended a lot upon my parents. I have to give them a lot of credit. (laughs) Um, My parents gave me a lot of support, Um, even my friends, my cousins, my aunts, whoever, you know, they they really got behind me um, because I actually sat them down and talked to them. And I was like, guys, listen, this is what I want to (laughs) do. This is what it's going to (laughs) take. And my mother was like, okay, first off, my mother told me to become a doctor out of high school and I didn't listen to her. (laughs) (laughs) Mother's always right. Mothers (laughs) mothers know. Um, And I told her it was going to take too long and I didn't want to do that. And um, so when I set her down and I told her, she was like, listen, she was like, you know, if you need help with parents and like, I am there for you. Um, she was like, but I want to make sure that you have a plan financially so that you can still provide and, you know, so I don't, I don't want you to struggle. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that's where the scholarships and loans came in. And, but she, her advice to me was just don't quit. Like, if you do this, if you're going to jump off the cliff, like go for it and don't quit. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good advice. That's what I did. <laughs> and, and here you are. So let's talk about one of the things you, you sent me your application, which uh, obviously the students listening to this don't see. But one of the things that I saw, and I, I mentioned to you before we hit record, was you really don't have clinical experience, at least anything recently in the last five or so years, six, uh, four or five years. And I always talk about one of the biggest reasons students don't get into medical school is a lack of clinical experience. Mm-hmm. How do you think your lack of clinical experience helped or hindered your application at, at, in the end, knowing that you have at least one acceptance? <laughs> I think, honestly, it wasn't about how recent my clinical experience was. I really believe because one thing that you have preached over and over again is story, story, story. Mm. And what, and then focusing on like not listing off, I did this, I did this, I did this, but focusing on what did you learn? What did you gain? How did this contribute to your desire to become a physician? Mm. And I believe that my reflection from my grandmother, my, um, that was my clinical experience um, being the caregiver with her in the hospital. And then also even from my shadowing, which was the most recent 
which I did that completed that right before um, applications were available to submit. Um, and just pulling my perspective of what I viewed and, and what I gained and what I saw as what it meant to be a physician and what it meant to serve in healthcare. I believe focusing on that made those hours more meaningful. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's fun bringing you on to talk about it because it's a completely different take than I typically recommend, right? <laughs> because your angle was more, I kind of understand what I'm getting myself into and not mm -hmm. like, uh, I've, I've been around patients. I like being around patients. It's like, I've, I've seen it. I'm a teacher. I take care of people. I'm in service. And I just want to translate those skills into medicine from what mm -hmm. I saw several years ago with my grandmother. And it obviously worked for you. It's not something mm -hmm. I would generally recommend for everyone, <laughs> but it's just a different way to do it. Right. And, mm -hmm. and at the end of the day, it earned you a, an, at least one interview. Right. Maybe mm -hmm. the only interview. Did, did, did you get just one interview? Well, I got accepted into a, a linkage program, okay. but of course, linkage program acceptance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we don't we don't talk about linkage programs when we already got the A to go to med school. Uh, okay, right. so one one like true med school interview and one med school acceptance, which is mm -hmm. all you need. Good, good. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about the fact that you you again two point two four undergraduate GPA. Mm -hmm. That's a, a lot of times potentially a non-starter even to go to graduate school. Did you find a hard time finding a program that would take you? I actually did not. I did a lot of research. <laughs> I am research heavy. Um, I think um, before you begin anything, you should always research. Yeah. And so um, one of the things that I did very heavily was research a lot of programs. And um, I actually even like found students. Um, there was a student. She has a blog. I think hers is like Minority Doctor or something. And she went to that school and she talked about how it helped her mm -hmm. on her journey, journey to become a physician and how she um, yeah. had a similar situation is to that, me. That, is that Danielle's blog? I oh think it gosh, is. I don't remember. Her name. I yeah. think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, Danielle, and, what's her last name? I, I, I'm, I'm very bad with last names. Uh, Danielle, I had her on um, the podcast. She's a plastic surgeon now. Yes, that's her. <laughs> As, aspiring minority doctor. Is that her? Yes, that yeah. is exactly her. Yeah. And so She's I awesome. read her story and read her inspiration, and I was like, okay. So after I did all my research on the schools, her school stuck out to me the most. Yeah. Um, and so I applied <laughs> and, um, I wrote a pretty lengthy personal statement, I would say about a page, um, and just explaining why I was pursuing this. And I got an acceptance and I actually got accepted. I think it was like the week before classes started mm -hmm. and I started the program that's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm on her <laughs> website now, and I'm like, yep, that's the same school you went to. <laughs> that's it. Uh, yeah, so this is uh, Dr. Danielle Ward. She's a um, an osteopathic physician who is a plastic surgery resident uh, 
as we're recording this. So a yes. uh, great person to go follow on Instagram. She's, she's very active there. Yes. And Dr. Ward, if you're listening, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Dr. Ward. Um, so, all right. I, I want to just keep talking about this because my, my favorite thing to talk about is, is mindset around this. Uh, yes. you, you finally figured out that this, you think was your calling to, to go to medical school, to become a physician, to be a doctor who, and I'm kind of putting words in your mouth, but this is the, the typical story I hear based on, on the interaction that you had with the physicians with their grandmother, to be a doctor who looks like their patients, right? To, as, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, right, come from uh, the same communities and, and uh, neighborhoods and stuff. So mm-hmm. you, you have this calling. You have an experience through undergrad that a lot of people would internalize, like, I can't do this. I'm not a good enough student. But it sounds like you didn't apply that label to yourself because you were very intentional. Like, I'm going to do the bare minimum to get by because <laughs> I can. And, and that's all I need to do. So who who cares? And you found a a, a virtual mentor with Dr. Ward you kind of followed in her footsteps to go to the same school for a master's program. And and you were able to apply yourself in a way that showed that you were capable of doing well in school if given the opportunity and, and the right mindset, right? The mindset of like, mm-hmm. oh, C's, C's equal degrees, not to get into medical school, <laughs> unfortunately. No. At any point during this journey, Again, you started earlier on, you were still being an educator before you transferred mm-hmm. over to do an SMP. You are still a single mom out there. Uh, <laughs> you're a human being who wants to do other things than study and work all day long. At any point in this journey, did you want to like stop doing it? Or did you have your mom's voice in your head going, don't give up, don't give up? <laughs> I think... Um... At the, probably at the very beginning of transitioning into graduate school like that, that um, I think a semester I took like intermediate organic chemistry and cell biology. I thought to myself like, am I crazy? (laughs) 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 Why why am I doing this to myself? Because Mm -hmm. I'm working full time, I'm in graduate school full time. And I have so much to do. And then I'm like, I'm still active in like my community. I'm still doing things, you know, like, am I crazy? Mm -hmm. And um, once I saw my grades come out and I was like, once I started getting my finals and getting like, I think I had like a perfect score on one of my finals. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, Okay, <laughs> so it's not a you know it's not a matter of am I smart enough? Um, I I, I had pro- I had proven to myself that I could do the work. Yeah. Um, and then I think once I took that leap of faith, and once I applied to that special master's program, and I took that leap of faith and committed to being a full time student. Um, and it was the type of special master's program where you take the same classes as their first year medical students. And um, being able to 
take on the rigor and the the heavy load of those classes and actually being able to do them well and then to be able to thrive in my study groups and to be able to communicate well in class and with my fellow peers that gave me the biggest confident boost ever like i had i finished that first semester with a 3.82 and because i remember i actually came on your show uh, not on your show on your uh workshop and i um i i told you i had just got accepted to a special master's program and you said you need to get as close to a 4.0 as possible yeah i took that to heart <laughs> and <laughs> i had a 3.82 and i was so proud and so happy um and so that proved to me like brianna you can do this like you you're capable you know you're fully capable and so um i didn't have to worry too much about whether i could do that and then i also kind of adopted these mindsets along the way like control your mind control your future mm -hmm. and so like if ever i had it out i would just tell myself like control your mind control your future like if you if you believe you can do it then you can do it if you see yourself doing it then you're more likely to behave in a way that will bring a point you know bring bring that lifestyle to fruition like bring it into reality yeah so why did you switch from one graduate school to an SMP? I felt like I I kept watching and like I said, researching, and I just saw the success that a lot of people had with special master's programs. And then I felt like if I went ahead and committed to a full-time special master's program, I felt like taking on a heavier load, taking on more rigorous classes, that would better display my capabilities to a medical school versus um, the online graduate program that I was in before. Mm. Because I felt like with such like a two point, like I'm, my transcript says 2.6, but when AAMC calculates it, <laughs> it's, uh, 2.25. So like, you know, I'm just thinking to myself, like, how can I just make myself more attractive as a student? Mm -hmm. And so I just felt like a special master's program, since it was connected to a medical school already, I just felt like it would be better to, um, better looking to a medical school. Okay. So you're trying to play mm -hmm. that game of what's going to help me stand out in an application, which uh, when you're dealing with classes and GPA repair like you were, that's a good question to ask, right? Because mm -hmm. it's it's very easy to to go on to University of Phoenix. No, no disrespect to University of Phoenix, but <laughs> very easy to go on to University of Phoenix online, take as many classes as possible, non-science classes and get a 4.0 potentially. But that's mm -hmm. not going to move the needle for what medical schools want to see in terms of mm -hmm. rigor, in terms of science, in terms of all of that fun stuff. So you, mm -hmm. you decided to make that switch. How did you find an SMP program, again, going back to your undergraduate grades, that was going <laughs> to take you? Now, surprisingly, um, I kind of used my graduate my graduate work at my first university okay. to be like, hey, look, I've taken graduate courses. I'm a better student now. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> stepping stone, right? It's the stepping yeah. stone mentality. Okay. So you used them. That's good. That's good. Okay. 
And and that yes, obviously worked. Now and, and and I had glowing recommendations from my undergraduate because like my undergraduate from um my HBCU, which I gotta give a shout out to Albany State University. Um, my HBCU um had amazing professors who are always willing to help. Mm. And they were aware of my situation when I was in undergraduate. So a lot of the conversations that we would have in, you know, classroom and a lot of the work that we would put forth in, even when I completed research at um, my undergraduate university, um, they just, they knew that I had intellect and that I was capable, but I was taking on 20 credit hours and working and being a mother. Yeah. A wasn't going to happen for me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you applied, I'm looking at your application, you applied while you were still in your SMP. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I will typically recommend finish your SMP first, get all of those grades under your belt so that you can show medical schools like it's not just a one semester fluke uh, I and you're not waiting on sending updates and hoping that schools will look at it. What was the decision for you to apply during your SMP versus waiting until you were done? This is going to sound awful, but I'm old. TikTok, TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And TikTok, that, that's the answer. Yeah. I was like, hey, and, and I'm probably, and honestly, like even there were more schools that I wanted to apply to, but like financially I didn't. I was like, I'm going to play it safe this round. And apply to my state schools and my local schools and um it it works <laughs> but my my thought process was like if I can get in now at this age I I, I would want to get in now take <laughs> it take it yeah yeah that's that's all you got to do okay what was it like getting that that first interview invite oh my gosh I was like, I just, first off, when I opened it, I just stared at the email. I was like, oh my gosh. Like I was, I think I had like a surreal moment. Like I was in disbelief, but it also solidified me because like at that moment, I decided that no matter what, I don't care how many times I had to apply, (laughs) how many cycles I had to apply, I was going to do it because if I can get an interview, that means I can get an assistant. <laughs> that was my thought process. Yeah. Um, and so I really was overjoyed. And um, also I was overjoyed because I felt like for me to get an interview in October, um, I was like, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was, it, <laughs> It was it was really a moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because o- October for someone listening, going like I don't understand what's October. Like October is relatively early to get an interview. It is. That's good. It is. Yeah. Um, and so I really, I really was proud of that. Um, and I just, I really had the mindset like, I'm gonna go to this interview and give it my all, as if this is the only interview I'm going to get. <laughs> yeah. And. Um, that's the mindset that I had. And I know um, a probably a lot of people probably have a lot more interviews, a lot more acceptances, but my mindset was all I need is one yes. Just one. 
Just one yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the interview. Uh, did your undergraduate GPA come up at all? No. My undergraduate GPA did not come, come Was it a up. traditional interview, like one-on-one? It was two-on-two. There was a committee member and a non-committee member. Okay. And do you know if it was open? Did they have access to your information? The non-committee member did not have access to my information. The committee member did. Okay. So good cop, bad cop. Uh, <laughs> one, one person had your information and your undergraduate 2.24 GPA did not come up. The, I think the only question they asked me was, how did I make the transition mm. from uh, my undergraduate career to my graduate career, you know, like in deciding to pursue medicine? Yeah. And that was it. Why do you think that didn't come up? I think, um, for one thing, the, the non-committee member was more focused on my why mm-hmm. and more focused on my story. And um, let's focus on the statistics. My, um, the committee member was actually the, more quiet, surprisingly. <laughs> um, the, and um, um, I don't, his, his questions were, you know, like general, like yeah. the typical, you know, medical school application. Yeah. But um, most of the most of the interview was really focused on like me transitioning from undergrad um, to graduate to teaching to how like just how did I get to the point of becoming wanting to become a physician and then also sharing, you know, my passion for, you know, closing some of those disparity gaps and and actually practicing within my community. Yeah, that was. Which makes sense because of the mission of the school. Yeah. The answer to the question for me, why didn't they ask about your GPA, is because they were satisfied with your graduate GPA. They didn't care. (laughs) They didn't care. Maybe they ask, as you kind of alluded to, that the transition, maybe less so like why did you do it and more so like, how did you improve, right, mm-hmm. maybe is the question. But at some point, the the answer of why you struggled early on is just that you did. I did. I struggled. Yeah. That's it. And <laughs> yeah. now I'm not. And so <laughs> take it or leave it. And you are the perfect example of when I talk about it and I get flamed from students on like Student Doctor Network and Reddit, like, oh, here goes Dr. Gray again, talking about good enough, right? Quote, unquote, good enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm telling all of you, you just have to be good enough to get into medical school. And yeah. you miss 2.24. Now you keep saying 2.25, but I'm looking at your AMCAS and I'm not giving you that extra one hundredth <laughs> of a point. Your AMCAS says 2.24. Probably is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, miss Miss 2.24 undergraduate GPA mm-hmm. is good enough. Not because you have a 2.24, but because you proved yourself in your master's program, in your SMP. And that's always the point that people like leave out of the context of when I'm talking about good enough. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying you can get into medical school with a 2.24. 
I'm saying you can not. get into a medical school with a 2.24 and some extra work <laughs> that shows that you are capable of getting in and doing well in medical school. Everyone leaves out that part and they're like, oh, Dr. Gray, you're, you're too positive and everyone can get into medical school. I'm like, it, with a caveat, right? There's, there's a little extra there that you, exactly. you consciously leave out. And that was my goal when I started my, when I was in my graduate program, I was like, I need to be good enough in my graduate program that they're like, oh, this undergrad must've been a fluke. Like yeah. she just, she was going through some things. <laughs> exactly. Clearly she's capable. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How did you, how did you decide if, if at all to explain those things in an application? Cause that's always a common question I get. Do I put it in my personal statement? Do I put it here? Do I wait for secondaries? Where, where do I put it? It was kind of a natural flow for me because I felt like, the struggles and the mind, the mindset that I had during my time of struggle, I feel like I needed to explain the shift in my mindset. So it kind of flowed into it. Mm. And then I, I feel like I wanted to make sure because everyone says you don't harp on it. Like, you know, like, don't go show someone your dirty laundry. <laughs> They're not looking for your dirty laundry. <laughs> no one wants but, to see your drawers. <laughs> keep them, keep them away. <laughs> right. <laughs> so... But I feel like it was um, important for me to note like the shift in my mindset, mm -hmm. like going from the the C's get degrees mentality. And then also just feeling like, like, I just, I don't need, you know, not feeling like, because there was a time when I didn't feel like I was good enough. And so it's like, if you don't feel good enough, you're not going to try to be better yeah. because you believe that you are less. And so, but once you switch that mindset and you believe like I am good enough, I am capable, I am intelligent, I can do this. And, you know, my goals are attainable as long as I work hard and put forth the effort. Then once you believe that in your heart, then your actions will follow. And so that's what happened. And then also, you know, I had to explain how um, that mindset um, affected my teaching and my education and just being able to share with students and use, use that to fuel my, my, my dream of being able to serve my community through education and how that dream changed from serving my community through education to serving them yeah. as a physician. Yeah. I, I think, uh, when you were giving yourself the, those like positive words of affirmation just now, the help just comes to mind, right? This movie, The Help, which is just a fantastic <laughs> movie. We it's all need, we all need, and I forget the character's name. Oh, uh, Abilene, I think is her name. We, mm -hmm. we all need a little Abilene in our life to tell us that we are kind, we are smart, we are important. We, yes. we all need that positive voice in our head because too many of us have negative voices, whether we put them there ourselves or someone else put them there. And you have fought through it. You have you have uh, quieted those voices. They never really go away, but you've quieted mm -mm, them. Quiet them. Yeah. You quieted them, right? That's that's our imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. You have an acceptance to medical school. You will be starting medical school. You will be showing your daughter what hard work and perseverance and believing in yourself can do to someone's life. Mm-hmm. What does that feel like for you? It feels freaking amazing. Um, <laughs> when I got the call 
for my acceptance. I was having lunch with my mother and I stepped side, I stepped to the side to the next room um, to finish the phone call because I was, I knew it was from the medical school, it was from the dean. And so um, she asked me like two questions and she was like, I'm just joking with you. She was like, I just called to let you know that you've been accepted to medical school. You'll be joining us <laughs> in the fall to be a part of the class of 2026. And I had the most ugliest, <laughs> awful, loud cry holler ever. <laughs> oh man, I, I would love, I, I want medical schools to record these calls and just put them out as inspiration for people. Just the emotion of what it's like to get into med school. I think that would be beautiful. Yes, I was definitely overwhelmed with emotion. And then it was just like a moment, I guess like, I didn't realize how much I had been holding in on this journey of, you mm. know, like applying and just getting that acceptance was like just the biggest release that I have ever felt in my life. And I've birthed a child. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like the biggest release that I ever had. And like, um, you know, I do want to say this, like, even though that moment validated me, I have to give a shout out to um, my best friend, Misha. Um, Misha, I know you're going to listen to this later. So <laughs> shout out to you Hi, Misha. for your support. <laughs> um, but one thing that she told me while I was in my special master's program, she said, I want you to know that if you don't accomplish a single thing else, like in your life, if you don't get into medical school, if you don't become a doctor, if, if you just... Well, no, no matter what happens, you are worthy. And you don't have to attach your value to your accomplishment. You are a human being and your life is, is, is worthy. Your life is good enough, um, regardless of your accomplishment. And so I had held on to that as a motivating factor as you, well. You got me over here all tearing up. Like, <laughs> I, I need a Misha in my life. Where's my Misha? <laughs> yes. And, and but you, a lot of us don't have a Misha no, in our lives to tell don't. us that. Yeah. A lot of people are telling us like, oh, you need to do this. You need to accomplish this. You need to do this. Yeah. And, and, and like when I got pregnant in my undergrad, it was like, oh, you need to finish school. Oh, you need to get a job. Oh, you need to provide. Oh, you need a home. Oh, you need this. You need that. And so like her telling me that was also another big relief moment. But just like to, you have that in the back of your mind, but you still want. You still want it. Like you still want to achieve those goals. You still want to accomplish these things. And so just hearing that and getting that acceptance, it's just like, wow, amazing. <laughs> All right. So so I want you to put your Misha hat on and talk to the student listening to this right now. What do you have to say to the, the student who doesn't think they're smart enough, doesn't think they can do this, is struggling in this journey because they don't feel like they see the the representation that to give them the confidence that that they can do this um i'm going to start off by saying so a man thinketh so is he so if you can control start off with controlling your thought process start off with controlling and believing tell yourself i am good enough i am capable i have the intellect i have the capability 
I can do this. If you have to tell yourself that every day, if you have to look in the mirror and tell yourself that, and you can even do what I did, um, get you some positive, inspiring people. I started a whole nother Instagram account just so that I could follow medical school inspiration and just follow people who had a positive and a motivating mindset. And so if you start off with that, believing, that's, that's the, actually the most difficult part is believing that you can. Once you believe that you can, you will be unstoppable. Because if you believe that you can, you will always know no matter what challenge comes your way, no matter what stepping stone or what about the stumbling block, no matter what setback, it doesn't matter if you have a, a, a not so cute GPA, it doesn't matter if you still need clinical experience, it doesn't matter if you're struggling studying for the MCAT, it doesn't matter. If you believe in yourself, then you know that you can overcome it because you are an overcomer. Your, your strength is in, is, is in you, is in you. And, um, and surround yourself with people who believe that. Surround yourself with, and I know that it can be difficult, especially coming from certain backgrounds. You may not have people who are knowledgeable or who can provide you with the proper support, but there is also social media. That's what I use. I don't have any doctors in my family. I don't have anybody who I could look to for advice on how to do this, but I researched and I got on social media and I follow people like Dr. Gray, follow people like um, Dr. Ward and follow people like Project Diversify Medicine and whoever else I found to be inspirational. And the same people that were pouring into their social media followers, um, you know, those are the people that you need to listen to. And, and, and really just take it one day at a time, <laughs> honestly, um, because it can be overwhelming to think about, oh, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do that. But time is gonna pass anyway. So just take it one day at a time one task at a time, one chunk at a time, and you will get there. You can do it. I know I'm the exception, not the rule, but you know, there are a lot of people who could probably pull and learn from my story and from the things that I did and just see that, heck, if she did it, so can I. <laughs> All right, there you have it. A great episode talking about, again, a single mom getting into medical school. What a great conversation, great interview, and hopefully one that helps you understand. Like Brianna says, you, you just, it just takes one school, right? She overcame her initial obstacles, did what she needed to do, and figured out how to get into medical school. Hope this encouraged you. Hope this motivated you. Hope this gave you some insight that it's not over until you say it's over. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.